Welcome to this episode of Mindset Happy Hour. Today, I am joined by Dennis Benino, CEO and founder of Street Cop Training, and also my boss. In today's episode, we dive into all things business, how he got started in his business, how his mindset and discipline structures his days, and how he's always continuing to learn and grow. He is a great boss, someone that I am lucky to consider a friend, and I hope you guys enjoy today's episode. All right, welcome back to Mindset Happy Hour. I'm excited to be joined by Dennis Benino, <gasps> the CEO and founder of Street Cop Training, <gasps> and also my boss. This should I be an interesting am one. Pumped to be here. <laughs> Whose idea was this? I think it was a little bit of both. Uh, actually, it was yours. Hmm. It was your idea. No for fair. good ideas, am I? Sometimes. Okay. <laughs> let's do it. It's your podcast. Let's rock and roll. All right. So let's start from the beginning. Before you were a police officer. What kind of set you on the path from the beginning before being a cop to now where you're at with street cop training? How far back do you want to go? Let's go pretty far back. How far back? How old were you when you became a police officer? 19. Well, Let's I got go. into law enforcement at 19. Let's go like 15. 15? This is not a place in my life where I was set on the path to being a police officer. <laughs> Let me tell you. Uh, all I got to do is look at my high school records. And we will find out that I was in no way, shape, or form on a path to being a police officer. But I always knew I was different. I could tell you that much. And I don't mean in a sense like I didn't fit in. I was a class clown. But I probably ended up going into law enforcement, one, because I'm an adrenaline junkie. Uh, two, because I really had no guidance outside of anything other than what I was told was basically get a blue-collar job. Uh, so I had no perspective on anybody who was actually running a business. There was no internet back then. And I probably wasn't seeking it because I might have been a little cloudy from foreign substances uh, in my high school years. Um, but I did work a lot at a very strong work ethic. So I actually took a pay cut from what I was doing in my late teens to go and be a law enforcement officer. And I was in both processes with the State Department of Corrections and the County Department of Corrections. And uh, for some thought into me not wanting to have to be transferred around and knowing that the county actually had air conditioning, because that's a real thing to think about when you're working in a state prison in the middle of the summer and there's no AC, that's a significant concern. Yeah, understandable. But I took the job when I was 19 years old and actually made a lot less money. The, t the starting pay at that time was $23,500. Wow. Yeah, and that was 2001. Wow. Yeah, I think the top pay was like 52000 bucks. It was one of the worst paying jobs in the state of New Jersey. So yeah, I found myself at police academy at uh, 19 years of age. So how long were you a police officer for then well, after that point? I would say a law enforcement officer. I did 14 years essentially. Um, I guess year 11 into 12 is when I essentially created street cop training. At that time known as NJ Criminal Interdiction. And it was a hobby because again, I was not super focused on business but i used to say to myself in most of my drunken stupors boy if i could just stop consuming alcohol in the manner that i'm doing i probably can be pretty successful because i have so many good ideas that i think can help a lot of people 
and you know really came to fruition i mean i put the stuff together i had some time to put things together my thoughts into a powerpoint and then kind of jumped and grew my wings on the way down when did you think about starting street cop obviously it was called something else in the beginning but when did you think about it well i went to three police academies so at every academy, I tried to, I guess I was collecting data on what worked and what didn't and who I actually paid attention to. And I used to think, I want to teach in the academy. I want to teach to recruits. I want to teach firearms here. I want to come back and do this stuff and be one of these guys or girls who spends time. So I really always had a passion or a real intent to return to police training. Um, and I think when I started realizing that people that I field trained seem to come out very, very differently than people who weren't being field trained by me. I'm not saying I was the best field trainer there, uh, but I was one of the best field trainers at the police department. So I had a lot of people who would ask me like, you know, how do you find the things that you find? How do you do the things that you do? How are you figuring these things out? A lot of new people started catching wind of my reputation of being very proactive. And if you wanted to be a cop and do police work at the agency that I worked for, you know, you pretty much found your way to me pretty quickly. Most people would guide you to like, hey, if you want to do police work, go see that guy. So people would ask to do ride-alongs or they'd want to tag along or become my partners. And I thought to myself, well, if so many people want to know what I know, maybe I should just try to teach it on a larger scale. A lot of people, I feel like, wouldn't, they would think about it, but they wouldn't necessarily take the step to actually do it. So do you think that just being proactive in nature kind of helped you to take that step in order to actually go through with starting it as a business? I think I'm motivated. I think I am not a very anxious person. I am not really concerned with the judgment of others. Kind of march to the beat of my own drum. I like to do things my way, uh, but I'm significantly more open to not just it being my way. And, you know, I, I just thought that. Might as well try it, give it a shot. And after the first time, I took a free class. It was like 65 people came to watch me talk. It was horrendous compared to what it is now, but it was still a very good class. And the feedback immediately was, this is really good. Like, this is where I learned a lot today. And I got to tell you, it was, it was a fraction of what it is now as far as an experience and the information being very, very thorough. I just had no guidance, and I really wasn't a big person on technology, so I didn't spend a lot of time where I should have, which was in the internet looking for answers. Maybe I wasn't even looking for the answers, to be honest with you. Maybe I was just doing this thing. I wasn't asking for money for it, right? So I just wanted the feedback. Did you have any public public speaking experience before doing this? Because obviously going on the stage can be scary for some people. I was class clown of my high school. So (laughs) So literally I was on a public fucking stage (laughs) from when I was – pretty much born i remember being a kid and putting like magic shows on me people die laughing so i've always been somebody i actually thought i'd be a stand-up comedian and really? there's parts of me that wishes i would have gone down that road uh, but i did what everybody else did i was actually scared there because i was worried about my future and that not being a solid future and of course being guided by non-entrepreneurial parents and nobody around me had any entrepreneurial experience Nobody said go for it. People were saying just the opposite. So, yeah, I think the guidance of my surroundings and my environment certainly curtailed what could have been. No question about it. For anyone that is thinking about starting their own business, they have a passion. They've figured out what that passion is. 
what are your kind of recommendations for how they should go about doing that? Mm, that's a good question. So let me start by saying this. A lot of people think that owning a business equals I'm going to be rich. That is 100% not the case. There are many people who are number seven at large organizations that don't own the business but make significantly amount uh, or larger amounts of money than anybody who maybe own a business. So the question I have for you is, would you rather be a number seven or number nine in an organization making 450 to $1.7 million a year? Or would you rather own your own business, maybe at a laundromat and make $45,000 a year and also working 60, 70, 80, 90 hours a week? So the first thing you have to ask yourself is, how motivated are you? Are you somebody that likes to work 40 hours a week and then go do other things? Don't own a business. You've got to love to work. You've got to be driven. Your why has to be very clear. It could be because of money. But if you think you're going to start a business and take off on Sundays or Saturdays or Fridays or drink alcohol, you are sadly mistaken. So let me just forewarn you. The next thing I want to say is I would really consider getting very educated or as educated as I possibly can. Maybe spending 50, 60, 70, 80 hours in books or podcasts or audiobooks about starting a business. So this way, when I start it, maybe I started a place that's a little bit further ahead than if I had not done that kind of uh, research. So that's my advice. I don't think people really understand what it means to get into business. I think it looks very romantic on Shark Tank. Yeah, yeah, you're not wrong about that. And you got to have a good, you have to have good EQ. You have to have good emotional control because it is a roller coaster, folks. Like from the outside in, you see us on Instagram, you see us doing all these crazy things and, you know, now it's really going to another level where there's a lot of national recognition. I have a well-known friends um, who also have national recognition and I'm in that crowd now. I'm invited to events that are exclusive. But, like, it's, it's difficult. It is hard. And we constantly are getting hit from all angles on things that aren't great. And there's a lot of things to figure out. And, you know, so you've got to have that kind of thought process. What are my emotions like? How much can I handle? Do I buckle under pressure? Am I worried about the judgment of others? What's my motivation like? What do I, do I like to work? Do I love to work? Because loving to work is one of them. You have to. Oh, yeah. Are you obsessed with it? Obsession. People don't see the behind the scenes of you working on Monday through Sunday. I mean, you know, sometimes a little late to the office, but I don't know if you noticed that, like, most of our memes come out at, like, 6.40 in the morning. <laughs> right? so that's after meditation and usually cooking breakfast already for a f- complete family. Yeah. And then I sit down and try to knock out 30 minutes of four or five things on Instagram and catch up on whatever I got to catch up with before I start my workout routine. Yeah. And I'm working out while I'm working. So I'm texting you guys because during my workout routine in the morning, that's where a lot of my thoughts come in of the things that we have to do. And they're triggered by the books that I'm in and the audio podcast that I listen to as well on business. Yeah. So, yeah. With all of that, with your morning, how you mentioned meditation, you mentioned working out while fitting in work. What does your morning routine look like? on a typical morning. People ask me this one all the time. And uh, let's just acknowledge for a second that Allie, who is the host of this show, (laughs) has very much submitted to the Dennis Bonino lifestyle. Would you agree or disagree, young lady? I want to hear what the lifestyle is. Well, you know what the lifestyle is. (laughs) Because you live it. 
Tell us about your morning routine, then I'll tell you about mine, and we'll see how close they, go, they get. If I get good sleep the night before, which normally I do, I'll wake up around 5 o'clock, and then I go to the gym at 5.30, finish by 6.30, come home, shower, get ready for the day. Once I leave for work, around, I would say, 7.15, 7.30, turn on a podcast on my way into work, get here, and start work for the day. Mm. That's a quick rundown. You probably don't know this, but you're actually a pretty big winner. And a pretty significant uh, example for most people at the age that you're at. So, I mean, there are not many people who are accomplishing what you're accomplishing at your age. Um, Allie's pretty impressive. And what was your routine before you started working at Street Cop Training? Well, maybe I'd go to the gym a few days a week. Definitely not at 5.30. You see a few. Definitely not at 5.30. One, two times a week, you think? Yeah. How about your eating, eating habits? Way worse. You 100%. Know shit. Yeah, I know. <laughs> It was a lot so worse. yeah, so like stuff that like like this stuff that I talk about, it is contagious. I don't say it to sound like a narcissist or to blow my own trumpet or to I say because like I was you and discipline is a key factor in whether or not you're going to have success. Well, and I think the people that you surround yourself with too, because a lot of the people here tend to be that way. It's a lot easier when you have somebody kind of to bounce off and almost check in with you to make sure that you're holding up to this. Why do you think everybody's that acting that way? Let's talk about what we do for lunch here, right? This is an easy one. Who was the first person that started changing the way that they were eating? Yeah. That's my point, though. So, like, if the top guy starts setting the culture here, it's not that everybody else follows they have nowhere to go. It's because you're giving them a glimpse of what's possible. And, oh, well, he's doing it. Everybody tends to follow suit with what the guys doing or the girls doing it at the top, excuse me. <clears throat> so, you know, essentially I start saying, I want to eat salads more. I'm off the junk. I'm off the junk. And if you look around here, <laughs> it's crazy how much everybody submitted to that. Not everybody, but look at Frankie. When Frankie lose 20 pounds in the past yeah. few months, right? He looks like a different person. You're like a fit as a fiddle now, right? Um, you know, I feel good. Uh, and everybody else is like, Compared to what we were buying before, remember how much we got that Mexican food place? We were getting yeah. like crazy. <laughs> yeah. We were getting crazy stuff, fried chicken. Oh, yeah. You know, now it's like, what salad place are we getting food from? Or where can we find salads? Mm-hmm. We ate salads for lunch today. Lean, healthier stuff. We have our moments, but few and far between. And I think it just comes down to a fact that when people start to uh, see or hear something that kind of speaks to them of who they want to be, then they're certainly willing to ready, willing and ready to follow that thing. And that's essentially street cop training in a nutshell. But it's even for me. You know, my wife would say things to me like, oh, who'd you hear that from? Gary Vaynerchuk, Grant Cardone? Well, yeah, because they're saying things that make sense to me. So when I hear what they say, I say that makes a lot of sense in my mind. I'm going to submit and follow the same thought processes, you know? Oh, yeah. I think that's just life in general. That's my morning routine is I wake up, I meditate for 22 minutes. I then typically wake up, I go to the kitchen, start making breakfast for my cavalcade <laughs> of children. Uh, then I typically, I'll try to knock out some IG stuff. But that content that I'm creating is actually going out on all the platforms. Yep. I throw it on IG because that's kind of where like the, the creative juices start flowing. Typically, either before that or after that, I will work out for a heavy powerlifting session, either in the morning, uh, like I said, before that or after that. Then I go upstairs, 
Oh, you know, before that, I'm sorry. I got a new life hack. My apologies. Oh, here we go. After I cook breakfast, I now have a cup of coffee at that time before I work out. I love it. But I also don't have that cup of coffee as soon as I wake up. I let my circadian rhythm start to awaken. I try to get, I blast the lights. If the sun's out, if it's the morning, I'll go outside and get my, get the sun in my face for five minutes. Yeah. Like I'll take care of the pool or something for yeah. five minutes, which you got to get done every day. And I'll try to wake up naturally and then I'll add that cup of coffee. And I really enjoy that morning cup of coffee. And then with that morning cup of coffee lately, I've been doing is watching a Ted talk. So they're about okay. 15 to 17 minutes long. And once you start watching Ted talks on YouTube, it starts to serve up suggestions. So I just got to click YouTube and here's another TED talk. And I'm like, yep, yeah, I'll listen to this one today. And I found right. a lot of value in it. Takes me, uh, I enjoy the cup of coffee for 15 to 17 minutes. I try to make it, make it kind of last through the whole TED talk. And then I brush my teeth. That's an important one. Yeah, because I don't like to work out with coffee breath. And I drink coffee black. So... <laughs> Yeah, it is what it is. I can tell you about that too, but I'm an interesting character, I guess, I suppose. Yeah. Right. Uh, um, then I brush my teeth. Then I go work out. And then I come up, take a shower, eat breakfast, and then usually I'm off to the races here at the, at the office. Yeah. With all of the stuff that you do, obviously having kind of a structured morning routine is extremely important to set up your day. Then you have to come in here and you have to get a ton of different things done for a ton of different departments. How do you prioritize all of these different things? How do you figure out the way that you're going to tackle it during the day? I have to do it in the morning. I've got to figure out what my day's going to look like in the morning. Typically, that begins to happen in the shower or while I'm working out. And I'm guessing because these are like meta states of my brain where I'm actually able to focus. Once I come in here, I'm done. Like, it's <laughs> over. Like, I'm just getting clobbered left and right. And for somebody with attention deficit disorder, which is undiagnosed but pretty apparent, yeah. um, it is... Uh, you know, you do, like, and things arise. Things come up that you don't expect them to, and this happens and that happens. My most productive days are when I'm by myself. But when you have a business, there is a saying in business that if you don't have customers or revenue or cash flow, which is the same as revenue, you don't have a business. So while our why is not only to make money, we certainly have to focus on making money. We don't have a choice. Of course. If everybody would like to see Street Cop Training continue to grow and expand, we have to procure revenue so I can hire more people to leverage out more stuff for this brand to grow so more cops can get training nationally. Um, also, I think I should be compensated. I do a lot of things that a lot of people aren't willing to do. I deal with a lot of things people aren't willing to deal with. And yeah, I put a lot of time, energy, and effort into perfecting this program. So... I always try to start with what's the most important coupled with what is the most important thing that will drive the most revenue into the company. This is where you see a lot of organizations making huge mistakes. I will tell two small, small stories that I love to tell. I haven't told them in a while. I started having success at business, you know, five years ago, five, six years ago, right? And I really started understanding. I've seen it like the Matrix. I'm like, I get this shit. Like, I'm just one of these people, once I understand something and I internalize it, I get really good at it. So this deli near my house where I used to live, uh, this girl bought it and she was like changing the hours and closing early. And, you know, I, she, I was like, she's going to close it. This place is going to get closed because she bought it from a guy who went through a divorce, had to sell it, sold it to her cheap. I could tell she wasn't into it. She didn't know what she was doing. So it got sold. It was almost like, 
it was her dad's place and she was working there. That's what it kind of looked like to me when yeah. I came in. So it closed for a few months and I saw it reopen. So I said, oh, let me stop in there and see what's going on. So I walk into the place and I said to the guy who owns the place, I go, uh, are you the new owner? He goes, yeah. I go, how you doing? I'm Dennis. It's nice to meet you. I live in town here. You're going to see a lot of me because you have these raviolis here that I love. <laughs> and I said, uh, how's business? Now it's 12 o'clock on like a Tuesday and we're close to business districts. And he's like, oh, you know, we're off to a slow start. I go, ah, really nobody in here, huh? It's lunchtime. You're a, this is your, this is your yeah. time. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just, uh, you know, we're waiting. Uh, you know, we're, what other people know we're open yet? I go, cool. So I see these two kids in the place. One's sweeping the floor. The other one is cleaning the, the meat slicer. So I go, um, what's your Instagram look like? And he goes, what do you mean? I go, what does your Instagram look like? He goes, well, we have one, but we really don't post on it. I go, okay. How about your Facebook? Like, what are you doing on social media? What are you doing for advertising? And he's looking at me. I go, you know, it's free, right? And I go, yeah. So, uh, so he, no, he says, yeah, no, I know it's free. I go, how old are these kids in here with these? He goes, what's my nephew? That's my son. I go, how old are they? He's like, yo, I'm 19. The other kid's like, I'm 22. You have two social media experts in this place right now. The number one way to grow a business. And you've got them sweeping a floor and cleaning a meat slicer. Something's not right, right? Would yeah. you agree? He's like, well, what are you trying to say? I go, yeah. brother, have them taking pictures. Go live. Talk about the mozzarella. Talk about this. Talk about what you care about the sandwiches. Like, shit. Post, just make six sandwiches and post today's lunch specials. Oh, yeah. Get 43 people. Get six people to come in on that post. And, you know, he just like looked at me and I'm like, this is why people fail in business because they don't know what to do next. He may have had the heart to start that. Thought he was going to pick up the legacy. Probably wouldn't be able to grow it, but it might yeah. be enough to to make do out of it. But he did not have the sense to say, what should we be doing? What is the most important thing? And we also know obscurity is the number one killer of your business. When people don't know who you are, you don't have a business. Yeah, you have no brand. You could have a great product, but... If people don't know who you are, what are you going to do? And the second story is another shop right around the corner from that. They had moved from the main street to a side street, but the side street was just as busy. And I walked past. I hadn't seen it yet. And I see that they're dead. And it's like a Saturday. And this place is beautiful inside. What a beautiful candy shop it is, right? So I walk in and I see one girl sweeping the floors and one girl dusting the shelves, Beautiful candy. I mean, what a what an aesthetically pleasing. It was just done well. And uh, I said, how's business? And they go, well, it's a little slow right now. I said, ah, what are you doing today to, to build business? And she looked at me, I go, you realize dusting the shelves for the third time today, which I'm guessing that's what you did, is not driving customers into your business, right? And I go, what's your social media like? She's like, oh, we're thinking about getting something together. I go, You're, you got bills to pay, right? I would suggest that you put the fucking mop down or the broom or and you put the duster down and get on social media and start talking about your business. Talk about the candy. Talk about how much you love it. Run a special. Yeah. Everybody comes in gets a free piece of licorice, right? I mean, guys, and this is my point. I will say one other thing in this regards. Sometimes people have such a good product such a good product that their business sense could be subpar and they could still make a living. It just won't go anywhere. Yeah. And those people should probably partner with somebody who knows how to expand the business. So for example, I know somebody or a place near here, the guy has phenomenal food. I want to keep it very vague. But I could tell his business sense is pretty lackluster. 
but because his food's so good, he just needed a few people to show up, yep. and they told five or six people. And that's the best way to grow a business, but he could be 10x in that shit, and I know he wants to because I've talked to him. And um, I, I think about that guy if he would just partner with, but I just, like, I was like, hey, you know you're not on Google. He's like, yeah, I know. I'm like, you're, you, you haven't registered your business on Google. Like, you realize that, right? He's like, yeah, no, no, we're going to get to it. You realize you would have 20 more people in line here if you had a Google account and you ask people to review it. Because what everybody does, and they're actually kind of trustworthy, is go to Google reviews. I do that. Of course you do. If you're going to go to a restaurant, let me give you some suggestions. I would do both Yelp and Google reviews and then compare because you got to watch. They can be manipulated. And the amount of reviews that, that are there too also matter. Don't go to a five-star place with 11 reviews because it's probably their fucking friends. Um, but I would certainly go to a 4.3-star place or a 4.6-star place with a couple hundred reviews because you could never get... Typically, most people don't have 300 to 400 to 1,000 or 4,000 people that are going to review their place for them as a favor. So that's some, there's just so much to know about it. And the best thing to do is to get into it. And sometimes people have to realize they're not good at it. I went to work and forfeited weekends for basically five to seven years. And the one regret I have is not taking a picture of the parking lot. Because in the parking lot, every weekend there was one car and it was mine. And I used to look at it out the window while I was working in the summer, in the winter, Family asking me to come to events. Wife asked me, do I want to go to the beach? Friends trying to coerce me to go to alcoholic establishments during the day that are outside. It's fine, right? And I just remember looking at that, that, that parking lot and saying to myself, one day when I have what I have and people ask me about this stuff, I just want to show them these pictures of just this one car in the parking lot. Why do I have what I have? Why have I built what I built? Because I sat in here every weekend. Oh, yeah. When I didn't go to work for three hours. Nobody else saw it either. I, yeah, coming in I was putting in nine, ten hour days Saturday and Sunday. I'm telling you. like, And thank God at the time I had some very, very good marital support who did not give me a hard time and understood. I think that she believed in me and knew that I could do it. And especially once I started having proof and started having significant changes in life, she knew she, if she supported me and just helped me and did not give me a hard time that we would change our lives and yeah. and we did and it was, you know it doesn't her credit as well it's not uh it's not easy to not see your spouse or the father of your children at big clips at a time and you know what now i try to um really balance it with spending a little more time with the yeah. kids i don't want to miss that part of my life of course with starting this business with figuring out your morning routine with working with different employees in different departments and everything, there is undoubtedly challenges in every business. How have you overcome these challenges and worked back towards where you want to be at? I think not getting overwhelmed and knowing that everything is solvable. There is not a challenge in life that doesn't have a resolution to it. I've been dubbed a fixer by mental health therapists, uh, professionals. But that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It's just who I am. And I think it was developed through my life of how it became. So knowing that, no matter what happens, as long as we're not completely down and out, it can be fixed and resolved. Becca said something funny one time. And she goes, I feel like this place could be on fire. We'd all be running for an exit. <laughs> and you'd be like, everybody relax. 
get the fucking fire extinguisher, go find a hose, relax. And that's an interesting metaphor. But I think it also sets a precedent here of not a lot of anxiety when things go bad or not the way we thought they were going to go. Because you all know that I'm not somebody who's going to lose my mind over it and just understand that mistakes happen and we just roll with things and we'll fix it. That's what I do. That's really the core essence of or a big portion of the formula of success in being an entrepreneur or a business owner is essentially staying calm but knowing how to fix things. Knowing that there's always some way to fix it. I wish I could think of a challenge that we experienced recently, but you know, it's usually just like, all right, you can just take it down, do this and try it again. Or yeah, this didn't work. All right, we figured that out. So we lost a little money. What are you going to do? Okay, we didn't know. Like, that's kind of like, let's move on. The future's bright. We can always make more money. Yeah. So I think it can be hard to, a lot of people, I mean, myself included, can be overthinkers or be anxious. And I think a big part of what's helped me in a lot of situations is reframing, kind of stepping back and realizing what you can't control mm-hmm. and just doing the things and focusing on the things you can and kind of doing things one step at a time. If you have a bunch of things coming at you, you prioritize and say, okay, I'm going to do this first, then I'm going to do this, then maybe I'll take a five-minute break to drink coffee or do something and then I'm going to get back. And then you don't overwhelm your mind and you kind of are able to stay in that calm state where people would have had anxiety or overthunk it before. I have two thoughts when you say that. One, I admire you because that is literally the game I try to play all day long. And with ADD, it's difficult. The blessing with ADD is it makes you extremely creative with tons of new ideas. Prioritizing and getting those ideas down and shuffling (laughs) around to where they, that's the hard part. Uh, Two, when you talk the way you do, I feel like people who are successful or have had some success, and I guess in some comparable chart, I am successful as compared to probably a majority of people, uh, but not the most successful. And this is not about me tooting my own horn. Again, I, I say these things because I want to set examples for people and really help them understand the context of what I'm trying to get at here. But I recognize the way you talk, the way you move, but the way you think at such a young age, I think you have significant success in your future. And I don't want you to ever let anybody stand in the way of that. And always take advice. I just thought about this this morning. I'm like, you know, it's so funny. People get upset when they maybe hear me give advice. But I'm always looking for the best way possible. The good news is all these people who are successful have made themselves available and all the information they know available for you to have. So why not go find it? I'm not saying you could be a 23 master at finances and IPOs. And you know what IPOs is? It's called an initial public offering. It's when a company goes public for the first time in their stocks. And I just it's just very comical. And I want to warn people that there is no quick way to make money. If you happen to be one of those people that ever makes money quick, it's because you got really fucking lucky. There's Always look for the long cut. Never look for the short cut. If you look for the shortcut, you're going to get your ass kicked in the end. Never invest in anything you have no idea what you're talking about. What you see other people doing, they're professionals. It is not as easy as it looks. And you should have known better. You should yeah. educate. People say, oh, I want to flip houses. Well, I think you should do 200 hours education on what flipping houses is about. Oh, yeah. You want to be an expert in the field before you go into it. When I hear somebody tells me get their real, they're getting their real estate license, I just go. I did that. I know. <laughs>
it's what it's everybody's move to be a millionaire fast and because it takes what three weeks to get your license yeah, it might have been like a month yeah a month to get your license and then what people don't realize is successful realtors are actually successful business people and i think like something in the area of like 90 i'm guessing at least 95 to 97 percent of realtors probably have no transactions or one transaction a year yeah. I think that with everything in the business, everything that you explained, it showed how important utilizing these resources that we have, especially the ones that are free, like podcasts, TED Talks, those things, et cetera. They're so important. Even for me, I would listen to them every once in a while, and now I've made it kind of part of my routine to listen to them on a consistent basis. I think that everyone can find anything that they're looking for in these podcasts and in these TED Talks because they offer every space of value, every people from different walks, people from different businesses, different types, et cetera. So I think that by kind of structuring it into your routine and even people here at the office after you've kind of instilled it because as a leader, you've sent over podcasts, you've sent over TED Talks and people can either choose to listen to them or they don't. But by doing all of this, you have to figure out how to fit everything in also with your employees. You're trying to better them so that they can be the best versions of themselves. You have to fit in everything that we've talked about. How do you fit in the personal time that you have for yourself? Because undoubtedly, if you don't fit in at least a little bit of personal time, you're going to end up getting burnt out. Okay, let's go back for a second. When we say that all these things are available, yes, they are, but you have to be looking for them. So most people aren't looking for the things that you and I may have interest in. Personal self-development, personal growth, changing the way we live, changing our lives, changing the, the history of our family's legacies is not something that's in everybody's minds. I have to imagine that most people, one, either don't have perspective or don't have the drive. The good news is, it makes it so much easier for everybody else to win when you're actually driven and want to do this. The competition is pretty, pretty nil. You then asked me, how do I find time to do these other things in my personal life? Well, let's first of all talk about what I like to do personally. I'm going to say this first and then come back to it. I am obsessed with my children. So I'm going to start with that and I'm going to come back to it. I looked at people for years and I'm like, man, I would love to know what it's like to be so excited that I would actually take a trip to another country to go fishing or so excited to go play golf or so excited to join a softball league or all these things that typically most people go hunting or so that just, I admire that tremendously. And I'm saying to myself for years, I can't wait till I find that thing. Not realizing, but that thing is what I actually do for a living. So when we say downtime, this is what I love to do. I'm, I, like, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm so calm because I'm golfing, essentially. If you love golf, it's what I do for a living. I love everything about this. The good, the bad, I just do. You could take me to a tropical island that was just serene and maybe it has a swim-up bar or something like that, right? And I'd get pretty bored pretty quickly. I don't know if I could do much time of that. 
I do think I could probably do something purposeful in the sense of like a sabbatical by myself where I found serenity and just got deep into my thoughts. That probably wouldn't be a bad, bad idea. I'm afraid I would get lonely. <laughs> if that makes any sense. But there's a theory about water heaters breaking. And the theory is everything's a top priority, but if your water heater, heater breaks, that becomes a top priority. So no matter what you're doing that day, if your water heater breaks and your basement starts to flood, you're going to stop what you're doing and go get that water heater fixed. So yeah. with that being said, that means that nothing is ever that significant that could take away from the things that really are the most valuable things in life. You have to balance what you want to do personally or what your obligations are or what you really, really should be doing for your friends, family, and loved ones with what you're doing professionally and things that you love. Here's the good news. It can be different every day. It's, to me, it's like a day-by-day thing. Maybe it's in a week-by-week thing. If I know something's going on, sometimes I don't whim. I'm just like, you know what? Um, it's more important to take my kids to the boardwalk today. It's more important to take my kids to the water park today. That's it. I'll come back to this. The cool thing about owning a business is I could do it at 12 o'clock at night. The store's open, right? Yeah. We're a 24-hour store, but that's what I do. If, if I feel impulsive in the sense that, like, here's one. Yesterday, I came home from Minnesota yesterday morning. I taught a class. I had to go on to our new instructor onboarding thing. I had a real intention to do it. And my kids just started being wonderful. Laughing, climbing on me, joking. Uh, all four of them very engaged in me. The laptop was actually next to me on the chair that I was sitting <laughs> on. I took it, put it on the table to get back to enjoying them. And then we just had, I had four of my, my four kids hysterical laughing for like an hour or two. I'll, I'll catch up with the other thing next time. You know, there's, there's a moments that you just can't, you can't ignore those and go, nah, I'm too busy, guys. No, no, no. No, you're not too busy. I don't want to have regrets. I want you to say to me, when I'm 99 years old and I'm on my deathbed, are you happy that you put the computer down that time to spend that time with your children? Right? And I'll go, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm so thankful that I did that. I have no regrets. And that's, that's life. That's how you prioritize. I think it's important, too, to understand that sometimes, I mean, we've all come in on days and felt like we weren't maybe in our most productive mindset. So instead of tackling a huge task, we get other things done, and I feel like it's kind of the same with you might have big things that you need to do, but spending that time with your kids and with your loved ones is important, and you'll get back and you'll finish that task on time, but you need to take that time away that's now that won't happen again that day mm-hmm. and kind of maximize out on that. For a long time, especially when my kids were younger, I started meeting a lot of people in my life who were like, an extra neighbor, Paul, right? Tells me one time, he goes, you know, he said something to me, and I already started hearing the theme around of like people who were regretting not spending time with their kids, thinking they had to spend 15, 16 hours to make this life for them. And he said to me, because you know, I was working like 16 hours a day for like their entire, their entire childhood. And he's got success. And he said, dude, I, I, I regret it so much. I could have done 14 hours a day, pulled two hours and spent time with them. But I felt like I had to just create this life for them this privileged life, and I'm trying to make up for it now. It's not too late, but it's always a good time to self-reflect on what's important. There's many things in my life, being 40 going on 41, that I should have prioritized. 
over what I actually chose to do. One that sticks out to me in my head that I've apologized for. It's nothing ridiculous, but my best friend needed help moving. And it was a Friday night, and I was a single guy. And I'm like, bro, you can't ask me to help you move on a Friday night into a Saturday. Like, I could have been there for him. And I've apologized for that profusely. As simple as it sounds, I went out and got drunk, and he needed help. And I ignored him. I didn't ignore him. I explained to him. I didn't, I didn't, yeah. I didn't give him the brush, but that was very selfish of me to do that. And um, how I make amends to that is to pass that along to my children and other people. Don't do what I did. Should have been there for your best friend. Yeah, I agree. Obviously, a large part of owning a business is also keeping the business a success through the people that you hire are a huge part of the success. How have you become the leader that you are today? Because you don't get taught that in school. That's something you kind of have the skills for and you have to form the skills for. So how do you go about being the best leader that you can? Well, I don't think I'm the best, but I try the most. And I think one, having bad bosses has really reminded me how good of a boss I need to be. Uh, having good bosses and how I felt about them versus the bad bosses helped me become the leader I'm, I'm, I am today. Uh, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I think my good-spirited soul of who I am in my heart and what my intentions are, and I think my appreciation and care for other human beings and my compassion and empathy, which I've learned more about outspoken compassion lately, and I guess that leads me to our last part is, I really try to take in a lot of education on leadership and, you know, understanding the, how to be the best person I can for everybody here and what it means to be the leader. And I think the leader creates leaders. That's a very good thing. Like leaders create leaders, like real leaders create real leaders. And that's what I'm trying to do. It actually, it's very heartwarming to watch all of you really blossom into these like really I mean Jay's my first project right and look at her oh, yeah. she's like fucking insane now right she's killing it I, I know so she was like my first project and you know I watched Becca she has blossomed into this really really ideal I mean if I was a dick she'd probably be a bitch right if I if, and, and, and that you know it trickles down but I display compassion and empathy and and calm responses to many things and I just like to watch it in her like when she has to handle a situation she never flies off to the handle she always comes with compassion I don't think she's ever yelled at anybody once in here I've never yelled at anybody once in here uh, and I appreciate everybody how good they are to me as well back you know what I mean so we are a family I feel like I owe every a lot to you guys nonstop. and I think it's pretty clear that I'm doing the best that I can and I'm constantly trying to do better. So. I think it's always clear, too, that you're always, even when you don't necessarily, because obviously you aren't managing every single thing that we're doing. I think that a big thing from my end, the receiving end of it, too, is that you acknowledge the good things that people are doing. And when there's something that we need to be doing differently, the way that you go about it also has a big determination of then the work that we put back into the job and because we appreciate all of our bosses and 
see them all as friends. I think that it makes us want to work that much harder for the success of the company because it's just as important to us Mm -hmm. as it is to you then in that respect. It should be because you are investing in yourself in the future. The more prosperous we are, the better it's going to be for everybody in, in all the senses. So, you know, there's a lot of people here have never had a full-time job at what it, what would be a corporation. And unfortunately, there are people who have been come and gone that probably didn't recognize how good they had it. That's let me to, to, you know, again, I'm not blowing my own <laughs> trumpet or tooting my own horn. What I'm saying is I think it becomes a reality when they leave and they actually are working at a place that's not like this. And I think people that are here really get what kind of place this is and how special it is. And, you know, listen, I, I, I say these things that I believe in about the future of this company and who we are. And I think that people believe you because there's proof. So a big part of leadership is getting people to understand and believe in what your vision is and to come along for the ride. And I don't show up and disprove that and really don't miss too much here. Yeah. So being a leader and owning a business, there is always negativity. How do you deal with negativity? Because I know that for some people, it can really affect not only their ego, but also the way that they then work and put work back into the business. Where is the hurt? Where is the pain? I have deployed so much compassion around here for why is this person acting this way? And do they really even mean what they're doing? What are they dealing with for outside forces? Who's kicking their butt and where? And what are we concerned about? Where is that deep-rooted cause of why we're getting behavior like that? And then trying to figure out how to get to that deep-rooted cause and addressing it from there. You know what I mean? Fix the real problem. Don't fix the surface problem. And showing up with compassion is just a better way of doing it. Because I've had times where people are just like, I didn't realize I was doing that. Or I didn't mean it that way. And, you know, and then there's sometimes there's just some people who are going to disturb what we have here. And I can't work with them any further. And it's just better that we don't work together anymore. And I think that's what keeps this place the way it is. You know, it's not for everybody. And I, on top of it being matching who you are as a person and how you behave towards others, it's having a top-level skill set. And there are people here with matched personalities, but their skill set or their work progress or their, their motivation was not the same as everybody else here. Skill set is a, is a paramount thing here. You must be able to do the job and do it well. To kind of close out, the final question I'll give you, because I know that I've been hitting you with a lot of them. If you could give people one thing to take away, one tip that could better themselves personally or professionally, what would that be? Because there's a bunch of things that now you have in your structured kind of routine. But if to give them one thing to start with, what would that tip be? You are in control of a lot of things in your life, more than you probably think they are. Don't let anxiety or fear dictate the roadmap of your life. I would say number one thing I can give people is recognize what fear is. Learn to do the dance with fear. Know what anxiety is. 
know what it causes it, where it comes from. And I'll leave you with my personally developed, I must get a copyrighted phrase, is although I have fear, I am not afraid. And the most recent example was a couple days ago. Me and Jules were going to Vegas for a class. We're going to do the zip lining down in the Vegas Strip. I said, book it. She goes, well, I don't want to. I don't know. Should we I go, I'm telling you to book it. I know it's expensive. And I'm going to go up there, and I'm going to be just as afraid as everybody else when they go up there. I'm just going to harness in, shut my mouth, and just go. That's it. I don't let fear dictate my life. And I don't think anybody else should either. And I'm just going to give you a bonus with discipline is probably the most important thing in your life. And you have to make a conscious decision to change. Because if you want to change, you can change. And employing discipline is the only time you'll actually see progression in your life. And I mean discipline in giving effort to make your life better and the relationships with others better. From diet to physical to mental to improving relationships to employing forgiveness. Be the person that you'd want to be ideally in your mind. Do what is easy and life will be hard. Do what is hard and life will be easy. And with that, that ends this episode of Mindset Happy Hour. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode with Dennis just as much as I did. If you did, leave a review. Let me know what more you want to see. And I look forward to seeing you in the next episode.